tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello! It's December! How did that happen? I mean, time flies when you're at your wit's end. But, well, that said, let us, let us uh, pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the rule of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's open the big book on the coffee table, which gets a little weird today. A little weird. We are in the book of Daniel, the seventh chapter, the second to the 14th verses. And this is very important stuff here. But the first part of it is totally inscrutable. I, I, I'm unable to unscrew it. In a vision, I, Daniel, saw during the night the four winds of heaven stirred up the, uh, the, the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea, from which emerged four immense beasts, each one different from the others. This is an apocalypse. Now, the word apocalypse uh, literally means an unveiling. Uh, that when we talk about apocalyptic visions, we mean uh, visions that have to do with the end of things. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't pretend to know what Daniel was talking about. I just don't. Um, he's talking uh, about uh, uh, the arrogance. I, th I would think the arrogance and and uh, uh, foolishness of the political system. Uh, that, that politicians always think they're in charge and they don't realize the Lord is. And that brings us to the second part of the vision, which is, uh, uh, I think, much more understandable in a way, at least from our perspective as Christians. Thrones were set up and the ancient one took his throne. Now, all of this, if you read the book of Revelation uh, in the New Testament, all of this is very similar is this visionary literature? Well, let me let me talk about visions. I I have never had a vision. I am a diocesan priest, and we are definitely a nonprofit organization. Um, you know, I'll never forget once I was um, dressed in blue jeans and and a, a flannel shirt, and was uh, uh, meeting a, an old friend of mine at a place. So some of his buddies from work were going to a a bistro, shall we call it? And uh, I had all my keys with me, and I I had. To get into the house and around the place, I had one key ring that was like 20 keys. And then uh, I had the, the everyday to, 
to do the work of managing a facility, which <laughs> diocesan pastors do. I always remind myself when I had to build something or take it down or worry about the boiler when I was when I was a pastor, I used to remind myself that Jesus was in the building trades for 18 years. So we, we come by it naturally. But that was in the good old days when priests did that stuff. I don't know if they still do. But I'm moving along here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sitting there, and one of the guys who worked with my, my compadre said, um, oh, you're, are you a janitor? And I looked at him and said, yes, <laughs> because much of what a parish priest did back then was essentially maintenance. Um, uh, uh, leaks, oh, did, 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 was that live to your voice in my head? No, but I can repeat it. Leaks, locks, <laughs> latrines. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what... That's what much of the diocesan ministry is about. Uh, you know, the, the, the perennial question asked of me was, Father, where is the washroom? I mean, this, you know, that, uh, uh, or people would come up, I would be dressed in my vestment, standing in the back of church, ready to, to uh, process in with grand music and altar persons and all of that. And someone would say, Father, there's no toilet paper in the ladies' room. I would just, I would just want to say, wait, let me check if I've got some in one of my pockets here. It just, at any rate, moving along. Uh, but that was part of the work. Actually, I think it's part of the work of fatherhood. You know, that, that there's a tendency now to have someone do that stuff for you. And I, I really think priests should be hands-on uh, in, in the administration, uh, even of the facility. Uh, but that's a discussion for another day. Where was I? I? Oh, well, so this guy looks at me and he says with all my keys, are you a janitor? And I said, no, no. I said, yeah, because I kind of was. I said, no, and I'm a, I'm a parish priest. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, I'm not. I enjoy being a parish priest. Uh, he was sorry if he'd said anything offensive to the clergy. It was kind of funny. Why did I get into this? Um, the... Uh, um, there was a reason I was talking about all this. Something yes, about the church non- being a nonprofit organization. Well, no, diocesan priests are. I've never had a vision, and I, I, I. Uh, but I, I know people who really have a, a gift, and and uh, and visions are kind of like waking dreams. And this was in the in the night that Daniel says this: a vision in the night. And I think what happens is. Uh, I've shared this numerous times. I'm very impressed by Roy Shoman's book, uh, Honey from the Rock. It's about his conversion. And what happened to him was the veil between the real world and the world in which we live. You know, the real world is the world we can't see. Uh, that, 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 that veil became very thin, and he could, he could see what was really going on around him in, in that dimension. And and I think that's what happens in a vision. And they never make sense. Uh, they I remember... Again, I've shared this with you, I'm sure, but there was a, I was working very hard at one point in my life, <laughs> not many points in my life, but this one point in my life, I was working hard, and uh, I, I literally fell asleep standing in front of a refrigerator tent at night, and when I got home, I was fine, trying to find something to eat. That was when I was younger and more more valiant, and uh, I said, Lord, I really need I really need to hear a confirmation that I'm doing y- your will. And I was at a banquet. We were trying to start a home for drug-addicted uh, women. And uh, I was at a, a, a kind of a fundraising banquet for this organization. And um, a woman came up to me who I, I didn't know. And she said, Father Rich, I've been praying for you. And I thought, oh, good. Here's my word from the Lord. And I had a vision. 
And she said, I saw you, there was a red sports car, and you were wearing all of this sporting equipment, you know, football helmet and goggles and all of this, and, and you know, hockey knee pads, all this is sporting equipment. And uh, the Lord's trying to tell you, you're playing at this. You're not doing anything he really wants. And I thought, darn. <laughs> uh, well, of course, this was a very honest person, and uh, I have known her uh, and trusted her ever since uh, to speak the truth to me. Um, but uh, I didn't have a sports car. I wasn't wearing sporting equipment. You see, you can you can look at a vision and not understand it's about a deeper uh, perception of, of truth that's symbolized in things that we know from our world. So let's look at this. Uh, he saw uh, 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 a beast. Uh, a second beast was like a bear. It was raised up on one side. Among the teeth in its mouth were three tusks, and it was given the order up to our much flesh. And I saw another beast like a leopard. Uh, on its back were four wings. So there's this winged leopard that's going to come around, and this bear with three tusks. No, that's not that's not how visions work. That. The Lord is showing the visionary a situation, and this is its real meaning. These are devouring beasts. Now, what to what this vision refers, I do not know. I imagine it was uh, about the the chaos that was about to happen uh, in 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 Babylon, and in uh, you know, when the Medes and Persians took over, and. Uh, the visionary is seeing it as it is, not as we think it is. I, I know that may not be very clear to people, but I think that's what's really going on. And then <clears throat> thrones were set up. The ancient one took his throne. This is, of course, the ancient of days. This is a, 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 a name for God, uh, the eternal one. His clothing was snow bright. The hair on his head was white as wool. His throne was flames of fire and the wheels of burning fire. A surging stream of fire flowed from where he sat. Thousands upon thousands were ministering to him and myriads upon myriads attended. Myriads are, I think, was that the highest number you could get in Greek. It was a lot. The court was convened. The books were opened. Um, I watched then from the first arrogant words which the horn spoke until the beast was slain. In other words, God's going to take care of this. So then we, let's scroll down a little. One like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. When he reached the ancient one was presented before him, he received dominion, glory, and kingship. Nations and peoples of every language serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not be taken away. His kingship shall not be destroyed. When people see the phrase, the son of man in the gospels, they think, oh, Jesus wasn't claiming to be God. Exactly the opposite that this was a title for uh, a, a celestial being who came from the very throne of God, uh, and that it was Jesus' favorite title for himself. And Jesus did not did not risk stoning because, oh, no, you misunderstood me. I'm just a guy. No, they stoned him because he claimed to be God. They wanted to stone him because he claimed to be God, and he was, and he is, and he will be. Let's go to the gospel here, because I think this is uh, also, well, this is one of my favorite axes to grind. 
This is Luke, the 21st chapter, the 29th to the 33rd verse. Jesus told his disciples a parable. Consider the fig tree and all other trees. When their buds burst open, you see for yourselves and know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening. Now, what what things? Well, we've just, we've just uh, looked at those signs in the sun and moon. Uh, on earth, nations will be in dismay, perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People die of fright. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is the previous part of the chapter. And uh, early on, when you see Jerusalem sounded by armies, know its desolation is at hand. This is, a, I really believe that this is about the end of Jerusalem. It might have applications to the end of all days, but it's principally about the end of Jerusalem. I shared with you the other day about the great signs that were seen in the sky over Jerusalem. Uh, they saw they saw odd comets and uh and and there was a vision of of armies in the sky, and then there was the time when the doors of the temple flew open, and it took twenty guys to open, and they were they were made of bronze. I mean, these were huge, heavy things. They flew open, and a voice said, "Let us leave this place." Uh, and there was the sound of a great multitude rushing out. So there were these signs, uh, and and that's what Jesus is saying. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars on earth. They, so Jesus was talking about the end of Jerusalem. So he said, that's why he says in today's gospel, uh, I mean, it was a cataclysm. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people died. Uh, I think Josephus puts, the Jose, Josephus, the historian, puts it even higher uh, count than he was there. Uh, people were, they surrounded Jerusalem. Everybody in the area had run to Jerusalem because it was very defensible when the Roman armies came. And they did the exact opposite of what Jesus had said to do, run to the hills. The Christians, by the way, did run to the hills. They were warned before this happened by uh, <clears throat> someone in the com Jerusalem community who had prophetic gifts. And the Jewish uh, Christian community escaped almost to a man uh, and a woman. They went to Perea across the Jordan, and they went up to the hills of Lebanon and settled there. In fact, is I knew a family, I know a family, uh, of Lebanese Christians who can actually trace their family back to the siege of Titus in 70 AD. Uh, uh, this is amazing. They're wonderful, wonderful, devoutly Christian people. So uh, um, the Christians did what Jesus told them to do. They got out. But everybody else, they packed the city and people starved to death. The Romans just camped around the city and uh, people... Um, um, uh, resorted to cannibalism. It was the hideous, the stories that, that Josephus tells. Here's one fascinating story. I think, was it Rabbi Akiva? I'm not sure. But they would let funeral processions out, oddly enough. The Romans had a great respect for funeral processions. And they would let funerals out. And there was a, a, a rabbi who uh, was smuggled out of the city in a funeral procession. And when they got out, he got out of his coffin and he went to speak to Vespasian. And he said you are going to be the next emperor. And he wasn't from the, the imperial family. He wasn't from the family of Augustus. And I would like to start a, 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 a school in Galilee when this is all over and save our, our religion, our culture, and our literature. And Vespasian thought that was funny. He said, if I'm emperor, you'll get your school. Well, Vespasian was the emperor, and uh, and the rabbi got his, his foundation. Uh, so fascinating stories. Well, let's get back to the text here. 
this is about this horrible apocalyptic de- destruction of Jerusalem. And we read, uh, you know that summer's near when you see the buds coming. In the same way, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. All sorts of revisionist scholars, because they misdefine the phrase kingdom of God. Uh, I'm back to my old bugaboo. Um, that, that, well, clearly Jesus was wrong because the kingdom didn't appear. Oh, yes, it did. The kingdom of God is near. In the same way, when you see these things happen, now, you know how I translate kingdom of God. A kingdom is basileia, which means royal nature. It does not mean its primary meaning. It can mean that, but its primary meaning in Greek is not a place or a political system. It is a quality of the king. It is the royal nature of the king, basileia. Paranoia is the nature of a paranoid. Basileia is the nature of a basileus, a king. So the, the basileia of God is near. The royal nature of God is near. And to me, the clincher, again, forgive me because I repeat myself, but the clincher here is that um, Jesus said to the disciples at the Last Supper, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in the kingdom. Well, that was, Jesus was going to come back right away and they'd throw the Romans. At, no, when did he drink the fruit of the vine next? On the cross, when he got the cheap wine mixed with water from the Roman soldiers on a hyssop held up on a spear. The Roman kind of vinegar, vinegar water drink called Posca. It was all over the place. They, they had it just, it was what you drank instead of coffee, Posca. Uh, it was cheap, bitter wine mixed with water. And it's the fruit of the vine. Jesus drank the fruit of the vine on the cross. So Jesus defined the kingdom of God as the cross. Huh? Yeah. You want to know what God is like? Look at the cross. Look at the, the crucifix. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And the kingdom of God is near when you see these things happening, that this, this revelation to the whole world of what God is really like is near. The destruction of Jerusalem happened. The, the gospel was spread throughout the world. It didn't just remain a little, a little sect within Judaism. The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple forced the gospel to go all over the world. Uh, they couldn't go to Jerusalem anymore. They couldn't go back home. There was no going back home. They were forced out, just like my, my friends who can trace their ancestors back uh, to, to this siege. They, they brought the gospel to places like Lebanon, and thence it was brought to the whole world. So, uh, men, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So those people say, well, clearly Jesus was wrong. No, they're wrong. They don't understand what the word kingdom of God means. The, the phrase kingdom of God means God's royal nature, and it was revealed on the cross, and it still is revealed on the cross. That said, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with some letters, and uh, you, the phones will be open at 888 914 9149-888-914-9149. Today we'd like to thank Steve, who is listening in Wisconsin, for donating his 1981 Kawasaki motorcycle. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. 
paradise, put up a parking lot With a pink hotel, a boutique and a swinging hot spot that's true. I wonder what, why the hotel in that song is pink. Oh, well. Well, here we are. So let us go to uh, letters. Letters. Oh, yes. Letters. Oh, did I lose my letters? Oh, rat. I think I... My computer gets rid of things if I don't pay attention to immediately. It's kind of... My, this this computer number two is... is is um, really very needy, so I'll I'll just get into that again. It sounds like an uh, attention-seeking behavior to me. Yeah, it really is. It definitely is. Definitely is. Okay, here we go. All right, this is uh, from Bob in Rochester. Uh, just kept in catching up on your show from this morning. Um, I enjoyed the segment where you pointed out that people in the Holy Land and Rome spoke Greek as well as local languages. Anne Carroll offers an explanation of why in her book, Christ the King, Lord of History. She explained that just as God had prepared his chosen people for the coming Messiah, he also prepared the world for his church. 300 years before the incarnation, Alexander the Great conquered the world from Europe throughout the Middle East into Asia. He didn't just destroy armies. He spread Greek language and culture through the world, which greatly facilitated the early church in spreading from its cradle in the Promised Land to Rome and beyond. There you go. Uh, my wife sometimes accuses me of not planning ahead. I can't say that for the Lord. No, the Lord does plan ahead. He is the Lord of history. And I think that's exactly true, that that um, we think of the, the Jews as the chosen people, which they are. But God chooses a lot of people. There you go. Okay, here's another person who's, who's uh, all fixated on, on the sons of God, about which I'm not going to talk. Let's see here. All right. All right. I think I talked about that. that was a good letter, which I forgot to take out of the circulation. Okay. Let me go back up to the top here. Elise, okay, let's see here. No, no, got that one. Okay. Hold on. I had some good letters here that I wanted to... Uh, oh, bother. Again, here's a person who's all worried about the Nephilim, Anakim, and the Rephaim, and Goliath. Um, and, of course, there's a a, rever a reference, uh, whatchamacallit, a, uh, um, uh, a thing to click on. And I I never... If, if you send me a link, I'm not going to click on it. You can count on that uh, because I, I worried that I would... Uh, <clears throat> compromise the uh, uh, the relevant radio computers, and I wouldn't want to do that. Okay. All right. Let's see here. Well, I don't know if I've got... Okay, there it goes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> something about a Patrick Madrid bobblehead. I Do you know what that's about, dear voice in my head? Um, I have seen me. such things, but I have not seen this email in particular yet. Well, Patrick Madrid is not a bobblehead. Trust me. His head is very, very securely screwed onto his neck. And uh, I, I, I think that that's important. All right. All right. This is from John. 
I love your show, etc., etc. Thank you. It's very kind, John. Uh, but remember, take it with a grain of salt. Could you please help me with the meaning for below? This is, uh, uh, thank you, 1320. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. I always call this Christian revenge. Um, that that um, the, that the idea of heaping burning coals, it, it means the best, the, the best, the best revenge, in a sense, is kindness. Uh, to heap hot coals on someone's head means that they haven't gotten under your skin. Think of it. You know, if someone wants to make you mad, um, that that's the best way to, to kind of win the argument is is to... Uh, the best way to win the argument is, is to... Uh, be kind to them because they they don't know what to do with that. And very interestingly, the idea of heaping hot coals on their head, this is <clears throat> the uh, um, a quote from the book of Proverbs, the 25th chapter, the 22nd verse. You will heap uh, burning coals of shame on their head and the Lord will reward you. Uh, uh isn't that, I think that's interesting that, that heaping hot coals of shame on their head. And it's a quote, if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. Um, that you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. The Lord will reward you. So, so, so St. Paul here is quoting the scriptures, reminding people that, that uh, well, something Abraham Lincoln said, I destroy my enemies by making them my friends. Oh, but it's so much more fun just to smack them upside the head. It doesn't work. It just keeps the cycle of violence going. And, you know, the Lord says elsewhere, vengeance is mine. And if I decide I'm going to take vengeance, the Lord says, fine, you do it. Um, I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of this. Um, this idea of revenge is supposed to be absolutely foreign to us as Christians. That when someone is unkind to us, our response should be being kind to them. It it will bring them closer to God. Well, I don't want that. Well, God wants it. Uh, and even if it doesn't do that, it, it will calm the situation over, stop what could become a cycle of violence, and it shows them that you are you're the winner of the argument. You win the argument by kindness, not by continuing the argument. Um, it's so contra... Contra, what's the word? Contraindicator, contraindicator. It's so contrary to the way we think, but that's that's what that verse means. And it's a quote from from the book of Proverbs, the twentieth chapter of the the uh, oh good grief, the twenty fifth, uh, the twenty the twentieth verse of the twenty fifth chapter. Fascinating. You know, there's so much Old Testament and New Testament. That's why I'm always telling you that if you don't know the Old Testament, you're not going to understand the New Testament. I only read the New Testament, the, the stuff about Jesus. Well, no, read the whole book because from Genesis to Book of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Okay. Let me look at the time here. I think I can do another letter. Um, um, okay. Um, this is somebody who called in, Mike, uh, from, um, um, uh, from Maine. Um, uh, we were discussing the trend towards maintaining worship sites at the expense of actual worship. Uh, so 
again, Mike, anytime you want to call and come back on, I would love to talk about it. Uh, uh, the church in Maine continues to experience a major priest shortage resulting in parish clustering. You know, again, I, I want to mention what Cardinal George said. Uh, he said, in fact, in terms of the congregation, there isn't a priest shortage. In terms of priest per person, in a sense, there's a congregation shortage. But we got to keep all these churches open because you can't close my church. And in the closing and opening of churches, um, the bureaucrats of religion uh, who tend to run things these days don't think in terms of beauty. And I think one of the major criteria for keeping a church open should be, is this a beautiful church or not? And it can be a traditional church. It can be a modern church. But we tend to keep the ugliest churches open because they're big. Um, uh, it's just, uh, if I ever wrote a book on the on the 60s, I'd probably title it, What Were We Thinking? Um Brutalist architecture became very popular, architecture that was meant to shock, and that is not the purpose of a church. It's Prayer is, is the lifting of the heart and mind to God, and a church should be a prayer made out of stone. That's what I think. And there are some modern churches which are breathtakingly beautiful. There are many traditional churches which are breathtakingly beautiful. Um, <clears throat> so I think one of the criteria for maintaining a church should be, is it... Is it available to people? Is it centrally located in a population district? And will it lift the heart and mind to God? Or will it just make the heart and mind feel kind of turgid? And let's get this over with and get out of here. Uh, a, a church is a prayer in stone. Uh, so I, there you go. Also, a church is the palace of the poor. You know, a lot of people really think, well, we got to make ugly churches because they're cheap and we don't want to spend money. It could be better spent on the poor. The first person who said that that I recall in history was Judas. <laughs> he kept the money bag. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I remember when I was at uh, a church in uh, uptown Chicago, well, St. Thomas of Canterbury, it was full of burlap. And there were these down in the hall where the soup kitchen met and the school kids ate their lunch. There were these murals of violence and, you know, you know, there were murals of people taking drugs. These were all inner city murals painted by well-to-do uh, suburbanites, uh, expat kids, young, young, young uh, woke uh, radicals. And the kids had to sit and eat their lunch while they looked around and said, gee, gee, that guy shooting up uh, looks like my uncle kind of thing. And uh, um, the church was, you know, everything was plywood and burlap. And um, <clears throat> we slowly gathered the money and we, we restored that church as much as we could. And the activist community was furious because that money could have been better given to the poor. It was given to the poor. The church is the palace of the poor. <coughs> Excuse me. Where's my cough button if I need it? Hold on for a minute. There, I, I'm, I'm done. <coughs> I think, I hope, maybe. The church is the palace of the poor. Where else can a poor man come and sit down next to a rich man and see beautiful architecture, hear beautiful music, see a beautiful ritual, which the liturgy should be instead of what it is in many places. The liturgy as it's written, Novus Ordo, as well as the traditional mass, is very beautiful, very dignified. Uh, but sometimes we make mass look like a clown car emptying out. Well, the... <coughs> The, uh, uh, the church should be the palace of the poor, and especially in a poorer neighborhood. 
extra care should be taken to make a beautiful church in which the poor feel digni- they feel dignified and wealthy and 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 served that's my theory on it so well that said we're going to go to a break and we will come back with a word of the day and then phones 888-914-9149 This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. It's the most wonderful time of the what, what? With the kids what? Why are we playing this? It's not Lent. That's my Lenten song. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Let's go to the word of the day. In the reading today, we have uh, a phrase, the ancient one took his throne. That's not, I wonder why they translate it that way. Because it's really the ancient of days. That's how it's translated. And it's a lovely phrase, the ancient of days. And it's what, atik yomim. And, but the word for ancient is kind of interesting. It means advanced, the one who has gone before. So if you're old, you got more days, you've gone before. And, and that's the word that God is the ultimate one who's gone before. And uh, I think it's kind of neat that, that uh, the phrase is, is the, the one advanced of days, as we talk about advanced age, that kind of thing. And uh, God is totally advanced. So there you go. Well, let's go to phones. This is smart. Maxwell smart. Again, we do have a lot of phones open at 888-914-9149. Let me give you that number again, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Jermaine. Jermaine, do yes, we do Father, the phone thing yet? Thank you for taking my call. I'm very did. grateful You're welcome. that you um, oh. are on the topic today of when you began the show on the dreams. And, Father, it was probably early summer. I've been trying to, you know, talk to somebody about it because I thought, well, there has to be something to it. Well, anyway, um, it was a dream I had, and it was um, outside, and it was like a pavilion atmosphere, and there was an altar. And on the Mm -hmm. altar, there was a priest, and he was kind of like, he would be more like where the altar boy would stand, and mm-hmm. Jesus was the priest. He was standing in the center. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was very disheveled, like he had just been uh, scourged. Mm-hmm. And then um, on the side, there was um, a big, big, big crucifix. And Jesus mm-hmm. was on the crucifix. He was hanging on the crucifix. But below the crucifix was a man sitting on a chair. And the mm-hmm. chair... He was a Jewish man because he had the beard and he had um, the hat that they wear, not mm-hmm. like the not the yarmulke, but it was kind of like a oh, like a, a Stetson hat, you know, kind of like where yeah, the highness yeah. comes in the set top. And he okay. was sitting there. He was not, you know, it looked like maybe he was reading a book. And mm-hmm. 
that was it. <clears throat> and I'm like, wow, I go, what, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, and I was like very, um, I'm like, what did that mean? Did it have a meaning? Um, but Jesus, you know, looked very scourged. But he was well, I think saying I, the Mass. I think that the Lord is just reminding you what the Mass is, and, and also that it's the fulfillment of, of Old Testament prophecy. That's I would, if I took a stab at it, that's what I'd say this. You know, a Jewish man reading a book, well, what do Jewish Orthodox men read? They read the Talmud, the Torah and Talmud, but Torah, that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. And, and that's fulfilled in the, in the, uh, in the sacrifice of the mass. And every priest is just standing in for Christ. And, uh, you know, I, I, somebody, uh, called the other day and just been, uh, was in Spain and was kind of noticed that usually in the middle of the churches on the Camino, uh, the pilgrimage road to Santiago is in the middle of the church is an image of the blessed mother. Why wasn't it Jesus? Well, cause if you look below it, there's a tabernacle and why should we have a picture of Jesus when we have Jesus, you know, that, 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 uh, um, the priest was standing to the side because, well, the person who's really offering the holy sacrifice of the mass is Jesus. Uh, there's only one mass, Calvary, the upper room, the, the inner mass, and the mass you go, you last went to. They're all one mass in God's eyes. Uh, for him, all times are now, all places are here. So mass is kind of a time machine that takes you back to Calvary. So I would recommend that you watch a wonderful video called The Veil Removed, just if you if you do a web search for the veil removed YouTube, or even better, the veil removed film YouTube. Uh, sometimes you can get odd things uh, with the veil removed, but uh, this is a beautiful movie about what's really going on at Mass. So I would recommend that to you. And and uh, yeah, your dream sounds like it was just the Lord reminding you what Mass is. Well, God bless Jermaine, and I'm honored that you listen. Thank you. Let's go to Mark from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Are you with us, Mark? What can I do for you? Mark, I, yeah, this is this is Mark. Yes, I tell you what, I yes. want to let you know. I come to you as a, I come to you as a non-Catholic, so I may ah. use some verbiage or something that's contrary to your offense. I'm sorry to your not belief. Not a problem. I, I do not mean it. I do not mean it at all by offense. But I not think one thing we have in common is great. I think one thing we have in common is um, I use I use the term Christianese. Sometimes we're so caught up in mm-hmm. our beliefs yeah. and the terminology. Yeah. We use sometimes we could confuse somebody that is seeking or somebody that does not oh, know. Yeah. So before Mary, we have very different views of Mary, but before Christ came to earth, he came as the Son of God. How can we explain to someone that Jesus was the Son of God without a mother? <laughs> well, that's that's uh, uh, kind of interesting. What I would do is, you know, we we have uh, daily readings in in our liturgy that you know, when if you go to a Catholic church uh, for three years every day, you're going to hear the whole Bible essentially read. And uh, today, of course, our reading was from uh, the Book of Daniel, uh, which I talked about, a Book of Daniel, the seventh chapter, the Ancient of Days. That that what you say is. That the best way we can describe this relationship between, between you know that I always, I always explain the Trinity as making perfect sense, if you understand that God is love, because who's God going to love, uh, um, to love sacrificially? Uh, 
well, he loves us. Well, yeah, but that would mean if if God uh, had only us to love, that the creation would be, in a sense, constitutive of God, and we're not. So the Father and the Son lived in perfect, these two persons lived in perfect sacrificial love eternally and timelessly, and their unity is so perfect that it's the third person of the Trinity. If you, if you believe what Jesus said, that God is sacrificial love, then the Trinity makes sense. The best way to describe that relationship is father and son, but it's only a human description. And to try to make it uh, heaven, a sort of reflection of an earthly reality of, of the marriage of a man and a woman. And it's not that at all. It's St. Paul says that, that uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has in store. There's no way I can describe God. So God has kind of described himself in terms that make sense for me. The tenderness, the 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 uh, true uh, uh, innocent and unself-interested affection of a father for a son and a son for a father. This is this is a comparison. It's more than fathers. God is more than father and son. But the best way we can describe mm-hmm. it in human language is that is that that love of fatherhood and that love of sonhood. Does that help? Great. It sure does. I tell you what, I've got this call into an evangelical program, so we'll see what they say. Ah, we'll see what they say. Aha! <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Well, God bless, and thanks. I'm honored that you listen, Mark. God bless you. Let's go okay. to John, who's calling in from uh, Kewaskum, Wisconsin. they got the coolest names in Wisconsin. Kewaskum, what can I do for you? Hey, Father. Uh, love your show. Barely miss it, and... Uh, I'll make my question quick. It's just on behind the crucifix on the scroll that you always see yeah. above his head. It yeah. says I R N A. How does that yeah. convert the King of the Jews? How can they be said with? It's a letters? Latin abbreviation. It's an abbreviation, uh-huh. and it and, and and the cross itself. It wasn't a scroll. It was a placard, and and the custom was that as a person was marched out to execution, there would be a a wooden placard or something like it with his crime written on it so that if anyone had an alibi for him, they could step out from the crowd, wait, he didn't do it. I was with him on the night of the the third, that kind of thing. And so the crime was announced, and Jesus' crime was written in Hebrew, well, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And the crime was king of the Jews. And this really upset the, 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 the high priest. They said, you should have written, he claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. And the abbreviation in Latin, the, the Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judaiorum, I-N-R-I. Jesus Nazarenus uh, uh, Rex Judaiorum. Those are that. So I-N-R-I is an abbreviation for the Latin words that say King of the Jews. Does that explain it? Yes, completely. Thanks for your help. There you go. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. Let's go to Ray. Ray, are you with us? I'm here, Father. What can I do for you, Ray? Two things. I just want to tell you, thank you. You've helped me immensely with my Catholic uh, faith. I called you five years ago, and and I was trying to figure out how to do this praying praying thing, because I hadn't done it. I just did the perfunctionary yeah. one, see our fathers and stuff. Yeah. And you said, yeah. I don't know if you were exasperated that day, but you said, look, don't worry <laughs> about the seminary and all the other. You're not here to collect chips and cash them in at the end. Ask for clarity, understanding, and knowledge, 
and get on with your praying. And I've done that, and I tell you, I feel 10 feet tall. I feel with the Lord I can move mountains. I can answer the hardest math questions. I can lift anything. Thank you so much for that. Well, praise God. I'm honored. I'm honored. Thanks. It's good to hear that once in a while. Go on. Yeah. So then, you know, you were talking about, you know, the the church and people attending mass and and the bad music. And, you know, you were just on a rant. And uh, (laughs) I I kind of said to myself, yeah, and I said to myself, God, you know, I wish you could stop acting like a grumpy old man. And a voice in my <laughs> well, head. Well, I am a grumpy old man. A <laughs> <laughs> voice in my head said, "Why don't you go to church and change that?" Because I work weekends. I work for a hotel group, and Saturdays and yeah. Sundays I can't take off. So I said, "You know, uh-huh. all right." And just then, in my inbox came, "We're going to start doing confessions on Monday morning and have a mass eight o'clock." So I, you I signed up for it. And boom, Good. again, you ask for clarity and knowledge, and it happens. Thank it you, does, Bob. yeah, yeah. Well, thank and, you, and, and, and last, uh, yeah, go on, <laughs> go on. The, the last, the last thing is because I get here an hour early, so I sit in the break room and I say my prayers. And one of the housekeepers mm-hmm. started actually saying it with me, and, and she asked me, wow. "Where did you learn how to do all this?" And I asked, I told her, "I go, Father Simon." And she had said, oh, dear. "You should ask him if you ever thought about doing one in Spanish, because she doesn't speak any English." Oh. And I'm like, "Wow, Father Simon in Spanish, the way he goes off, that would be interesting." So, yeah, well, the question I, I, I don't, I don't speak Spanish. I speak Puerto Rican. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. It's Spanish. Yeah. It's perfectly good Spanish. <laughs> but I, I talk like a Puerto Rican, which Mexicans kind sound kind of funny. I don't know. Perhaps the Lord has that in the cards, and who knows? But. Uh, um, uh, you know, I we've thought about that, and and uh, who knows the future. Um, but uh, uh, the uh, at the moment, <laughs> our plate is kind of full in English, so we're working on things. But God bless, and I'm honored. Right I'm honored, uh, Ray, that you called, and I'm honored to have been of a little help to you. God bless you. Okay. Um, um, God bless you too. And I got a case of wine here from all the wineries I work at. If you ever need it, you oh, let why? me know. Well, I'm, I'm good at the moment. Don't worry. All right. God bless. That might make me even a crabbier old man. You never know. All right. Let us go to uh, Shelly from Ogden, Utah. What can I do for you, Shelly? Hey, I was wondering if you could tell me, um, with the spiritual works of mercy and the corporal works of mercy, are they equally weighted? Or is one ah. set, of, set of works considered more important than the other? Oh yeah. Well, it seems the spiritual works uh, are of mercy are easier than the corporal works. That's I think what we're thinking here. But I don't think that's true. And uh, I think we have to look at a verse of scripture. He has prepared uh, good works. Okay, gotta. I think I can do this quickly. Yes, uh, I got it. I got it. Ephesians two ten. We are. God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, in other words, which is the better of the of the of the the, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy? <laughs> I got to tell this story. When I was a boy, Monsignor O'Brien used to used to uh, take the seventh and eighth grades into the hall and teach us catechism very very well. And uh, we were to memorize certain things, and I was to memorize the <clears throat> the corporal works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy, and and I was 
called to the microphone to recite, and I was as nervous as could be. And I got through it. The spiritual work of mercy is to pray for the living and the dead. And a, a corporal, physical, bodily work, that's what corporal means, bodily. A bodily work of mercy is to bury the dead, to, to be involved in providing funerals, especially for the poor. So when I got to the last of the, of the uh, uh, corporal works of mercy, I said, and to, and to bury the living and the dead. And it was the only time I ever saw old Monsignor <laughs> O'Brien laugh. He thought that was great, to bury the living and the dead. <laughs> Run, the kid's got a shovel. Well, moving along, I had to tell that story. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to walk in good works, it literally says, which God has prepared in advance. If God wants you to pray for the sick and you say, no, I'm going to bury the dead, then no, it's, it's what has God put on your heart. One of these is not superior to the other. What is superior is is being able to to hear a call from God that no God really wants me to work at that soup kitchen or God really wants me to uh, to 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 counsel the doubtful in other words to teach uh, the religion class so you pray about it and 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 these are you know these aren't things that we check off I've done one two three four five six seven now the next one one two three we don't check them off we say Lord what how do you want to use me in the world and if it's to to pray for the living and the dead that's one thing if it's to feed the hungry that's another thing uh, that 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 it isn't a matter of which ones are more important all 14 are are important but the one that's important for you is the one that God has called you to does that help a little Oh yeah, that's very different. <laughs> good, good. All right, okay, you pray about it. Say, Lord, help, let me let me know what you want me to do, and I'll be doing my best to do it. God bless you. Let's go to Mary, who's calling from Southern California. Mary, what can Thank I do you. for you? Thank you for taking my call, Father. I I was trying to understand: is there um, a difference between schism and apostasy? As I understand, schism is a due to a difference of opinion on doctrine. Um, a church can split into two churches. Please well, correct me if I'm wrong. But then schism, I, is just, schism is just the Greek word for cutting. <laughs> that, that when, uh, for instance, uh, we are in schism with the Orthodox churches, we agree, essentially, on 99.99% of things doctrinal. In fact, is sometimes... People have to look for things about which we disagree. We're in schism. We have we broke originally over political differences, but we refuse to rec, uh, recognize. You know, we, we we cannot recognize certain certain leadership structures. So it's schism is more of a structural thing. Apostasy is more about heresies. Apostasy is a Greek word which means to stand apart, to stand away from uh, from from the truth is revealed in Christ. So apostasy is to, is to abandon the faith in a sense. So that's the difference. So I hope that helps Mary real quickly. Lisa, what can I do for you? We just got a minute. Yes. Um, thank you. My question arises from hearing another Catholic radio host explain that God does not. Oh, love oh, 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 no, no, no. God, God loves everyone infinitely. You can't have more or less infinity. He loves everyone differently. But not more or less. He loves me infinitely. He loves you infinite, infinitely. It isn't that he's got special friends who, who uh, they get the, the rest of us are in the cheap seats. That's not true. And speaking of God's special friends, Drew is coming up. <laughs> 